The number one cause of death for kids ages 9 to 19 is suicide. And that's a new statistic released from 2017. So it's kind of new information. And I think until then, a lot of us were kind of thinking, oh, sure, kids are saying they're anxious. They're saying it's just it's just more acceptable to say that we couldn't say that in our day. And they can. And it felt like, yeah, it felt like, oh, it's just it's just, you know, they think that. (laughs) But then when we noticed that the suicide rate, um, they're acting on it. So at that point, I couldn't really deny anymore that this was just not as big of a deal as it was. So I I started the Kid Factory to get people's attention, essentially. Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Bright This Way, the podcast that interviews the culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground and inviting you to make your own mark. Today's guest is Cindy Robinson, founder of The Kit Factory and host of the Go Get Mom podcast. As a mother, Cindy was really troubled by the rates of suicides in teenagers being so high. She has committed her efforts to finding solutions to provide resources to as many parents as possible. I immediately related to her on so many levels and she had so much great guidance that I had never thought of before. For me, I felt like I'd found a kindred spirit in Cindy. I really got her, and I think her stories and information are really going to resonate with you too. Enjoy. All right. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) So we are here with Cindy Robinson. Cindy Robinson is a very creative entrepreneur, but uh, somebody that's got a very civic mind. And she has started a nonprofit called The Kit Project and is launching a podcast called Go Get Mom, which launches August 15th. Is that right? August 15th. Yeah. So so this podcast, it it, it will probably launch by the time time this episode airs. Mm -hmm. But I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, We share a lot in common that I feel like we are working towards a better world. We're both moms. We're both really, really focused on making sure our kids are raised in a, a healthy mental state. And I know I don't, I can't speak for you, but I know for me, I am pretty sure I'm screwing it up, but I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to be conscious about it. So please introduce yourself. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you very much. And I'll say, so the project is the Kid Factory. The kid, What did I say? The Kid Project? I can't remember, but yeah, I think it was the Kid Project. The Kid Factory. Either, okay. Close enough. Yes. But yeah, just in case somebody's like Googling it or something. I'll make sure on the show notes it's all right. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> and so I'm Cindy Robinson and I, I'm a... By how I earn a living is I'm a mindfulness curriculum coordinator at a children's counseling center, Peachtree Art Therapy and Counseling. And through that, I have a real finger on the pulse of the mental health and wellness of kids and notice that really all kids today could use some of the tools that we were developing at the counseling center. So um, I decided, well, how can I get these tools to other kids who maybe don't have the resources to access our counseling center? Because it's, it's not cheap, honestly. Mm. And I thought of what's the cheapest way to get the message out to parents that our kids are struggling a little bit right now. And out of that came the Kid Factory. 
Um, and that's a series of pop-up cardboard playgrounds all around greater Atlanta. And it's all to bring awareness to the mental health crisis because our anxiety, depression, and suicide rates are all at an all-time high for kids. And the number one cause of death for kids ages 9 to 19 is suicide. Mm. And that's a new statistic released from 2017. So it's kind of new information. And I think until then... A lot of us were kind of thinking, oh, sure, kids are saying they're anxious. They're saying it's just it's just more acceptable to say that. We couldn't say that in our day. And yeah, it's part of the lexicon. And it felt like, yeah, it felt like, oh, it's just it's just, you know, they think that. <laughs> but then when we noticed that the suicide rate, they're acting on it. So at that point, it, I couldn't really deny anymore that this was just not as big of a deal as it was. So I, I started the Kid Factory to get people's attention, essentially. So how how did you get into the mindfulness? So my um, path to what, what does that to even mean? So mindfulness for children. Mindfulness for children means learning how to be in the moment, learning how to find contentment or get control over your emotions, whatever you're feeling too much of, too much anxiety, too much sadness, whatever it is, if it's when it's too much, Mindfulness is a tool that you can teach kids to use to get their head out of that mess and that messy place and get it into the game. And it's often, so meditation is a form of mindfulness, Mm -hmm. but they're not one and the same. And particularly children who've experienced trauma, meditation is, is dangerous for them. To sit quietly can really stir up and be really triggering for them. Hmm. So... I'm okay with meditation, but I do think that kids respond to other forms of mindfulness. So we do all sorts of things that just make you only be in that moment thinking about that one thing. So anytime you're in the flow and you're just thinking about this labyrinth that you're tracing with your finger, or you're just thinking about this the way this sand feels in your hands, that's that's mindfulness. Whatever just gets your head out of the mess. One of the things that I noticed on the Kid Factory website, which I was like, oh my God, this is such a great idea, <laughs> is these pop-up playgrounds. So they're like cardboard houses, cardboard <laughs> yeah. pop-ups, yeah. where your design is to recreate an 80s playground. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> I think that's so smart of, of, um, of how can you let the kids run around from an imagination perspective, burn energy, yeah. be able to engage their creative outlets without being buried in a phone right. or bullying, hopefully, right. yeah, you know, and, and being able to have movement. So how did this idea come to you? I think it's brilliant. Well, thank you. Honestly, it came to me from a place of, I'm going to do this on my own on a $0 budget. And one of the biggest components I was seeing that was contributing to the mental health crisis that we're in is the reduction of play, like the amount of time that kids have to just play. And part of what is so beneficial about play is they work out differences. They learn social skills. They learn boundaries. They learn confidence. Um, they it's sort of create their own little society. When adults aren't around to mm. say, do it like this, do it like that, don't say that, say sorry. You know, when we're not there to structure it, they do find their own structure if you give them a little time. And if they can develop those skills when they're supposed to. I mean, children know to play instinctively. You, I mean, 
when they come to the kid factory, there's nothing but cardboard boxes, old tires, duct tape, <laughs> and and our um, volunteers are trained to be hands off. We're supposed to play with them, but we don't direct them. Wow. We don't tell them what to do at all. They tell us what to do. Um, we have a whole What's thing. What's duct tape for? To put Sounds... the boxes together. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting them like wrapping somebody's mouth. And... <laughs> they might. They might. And we do try to, I mean, unless we, we have rules, yeah. don't hurt someone. Don't destroy something you didn't create. Um, and be, be kind. Like, be kind while you're in here. But other than that, do what you want. So if that child agrees to being wrapped in duct tape, <laughs> then they, they can wrap them in duct tape. And the thing is, is bumps and bruises might happen and disagreements might happen. But I'll be honest, um, at Reformation Brewery, we had our biggest pop-up, which is about 150 kids at one time. And um, wow, we had... How did you get the word out for that? At Reformation Brewery. I mean, uh-huh. parents here, bring your kid and drop them off and have a beer while they play. Right. It's not hard sell. That's brilliant. It's not a hard sell at all. Yeah. Um, so that was our most <laughs> successful pop-up to date. And understandably so. And the parents kicked back. They had a beer. The kids went. We had, I think I heard two disagreements that got to a level where I could hear it. And in both situations, the volunteers were there and ready to say, you know, hey, what's going on? But they waited and the kids worked it out. They worked out what their difference was. And other than that, there were kids that parents were like, they never play with other kids or they've always been too shy to join a group. And they all joined in. There's just something wow. about just freedom and cre- and just open-ended creativity. If you just hand it to the kids they they take over. They do what they're supposed to do. You're so right about that. And and I know you live in uh, outside or the exurbs of Atlanta, or suburbs, <laughs> exurbs, somewhere around there yeah, yeah. Um, of Atlanta. And I live right in the city. So mm-hmm. our kids are, are, you know, we are hyper vigilant from a safety perspective. It's mm-hmm. not like we can just let them out of the house and run. And um, we had a, a, a family photo shoot and it was in um, it was in Lawrenceville, Georgia. It was at like a, a wild wildflower farm. Mm-hmm. And we could not get our two kids in one picture because they were so excited to run <laughs> and just be free. And I have become more mindful of where can I give them options to be free? And my thought is, as a parent, as somebody, you know, I my husband and I are two working parents. So we, I'm not very good at play. My (laughs) husband is better at it than I am. And how, how do I facilitate or what are some easy ways that you can share of to facilitate play if there's no pop-up immediately around? (laughs) I think it's a brilliant idea, but what have you discovered? Well, it's so much easier than you realize. And I think part of it is giving yourself permission to step away. And you can do this in your living room You can do this in a bedroom that you don't care that much what happens inside of it. And honestly, throw some cardboard boxes in or junk or whatever and be a little hands off. Like you say, you're not that playful. That's actually better. Don't you don't have to play because I think as parents, once we're involved, we feel the need to teach. Mm. That's just how we are as adults. We think we are here to teach you and impart, you know, impart our wisdom on you. And that's really not what they always need. Of course, we need to teach them how to go to the bathroom and, how to, you know, how to wipe their nose and wash their hands. But play, they, they're experts on that better than we are. So don't be fun at playing. Say, go in this room with this stuff and do something and stay in here for a certain period of time. And you might get that period of time of boredom and they're going to whine or they're going to say, 
oh, I want to do something else. Or it's boring. Watch a video. Yeah. on an iPad. Right. But if you hang in there, that passes. I promise you it passes. Like wow. I feel confident enough to just say, just wait. And um, wait until the, the shift changes. The, the boredom and the complaints will eventually fade away and they'll find something to do and let them just do it. And you might could do it better and you could teach them how to do something really cool. But just stay away for a minute and, and you might hear them complain unless somebody's like hurting someone. Right. Or name calling is a good place to know where to draw the line verbally. Then just let them work their differences out because that's how they learn to be adults. We're in a position now where I feel like we're at a tipping point that the suicide rate, like you mentioned, is so high. And our kids are in an era where they never have to be bored ever. And us as adults, we don't have to be bored. We're buried in our phones. So how do you feel? I feel like this is such an incredible and important lesson and important tool to be able to have and to be mindful and conscious of how our kids are spending the time. You know, are there any other tips that you've seen? You know, like you you said you have a, an 11-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And what is he like? <laughs> what is he like? Well, we can't take credit for him. We really can't. Um, he's an incredible human being. He's very insightful. He's very kind. Um, he's. Have you always been mindful with him? About this, or is this something that popped up in the past couple of years? No, let me tell you. So I started parenting from scratch. I'm a child who survived childhood trauma. It was There was not a good base for me to start from, basically. And that's where, why I'm so passionate about this, because I was starting from scratch, which in a beautiful way allowed me to create the person that I wanted to be from nothing. I, I didn't know any idea how to be the right kind of parent. I just knew what I didn't want to be, but I had no clue what is the right way to parent. So I just became a total nerd and researched, do this, do that. And when you do that, the first messages I got were, put them in this tutoring program and their IQ will go up two points. If they know how to play an instrument, their IQ up two points and they'll get into Harvard, you know, yeah. I, I, I got all these messages yeah. of do this, do that. And your kid will be blank. So that's where I started because that was the first thing I found. And I clung to that. So I was the mom with the classical music playing in the crib and signing him up for, I heard if you sign them up for gymnastics and swimming, then that will make them versatile and they can excel at any sport later in life. So that's what we did, gymnastics and swimming. And I never knew if it was right or wrong. I just knew that I was just desperately looking for answers. But then as I got more and more confident as a mom, it started to feel like I'm molding and shaping him, but something's not quite right about this. And I got a little geekier. I continued to research. I continued <laughs> to learn. I, I, I couldn't stop. I was a sponge for how do we make happy humans? How do we make, how do I just make this human happy? Just this one. And what I started to discover was you don't make them anything. You don't make them happy. You don't make them successful. You don't make them get into a good college or have options. We're always wanting to give them options. I learned you, you clear the path. You get out of the way as much as possible. And they are who they are. Just let them be comfortable becoming that. Create an environment where that's okay. And that's scary. So I'm not preaching all of this like, 
oh, I do this and it's so successful and I'm so great at this. I do this like, oh my God, I'm fighting myself every day, just wishing that if you just gave me a formula and I can make him this happy person. I know it's scary to take that leap, but we've taken it. It's been, it's been several years now that I've been growing more and more into letting him be who he is. And how much of it is that is your intuition and you're trusting yourself? Because it sounds like you were desperate to try everything. And I so relate. You know, I have my, my son in swimming. I have him in karate. <laughs> he hates karate. And I've had him in it for two years because mm-hmm. he's small, you yeah. know, and they're incredible lessons. But I'm like, come on, Danny, you know, once we commit, we don't quit. You know, mm-hmm. hairs don't quit. And, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where do you find the balance that nature versus nurture of just exposing him to things. But my, my son is very happy playing Legos. He's yeah. very happy with his few friends. He loves playing around and roughhousing with him, but I also want to expose him. So, you know, I, I don't even know how to do it, but it sounds like you're building your own intuition and trying to dial in and listen to him. Just let the kids, Mm -hmm. let the kids be. It's hard. And I start with facts. So I'm not running off intuition. I don't think, I'm not sure I have enough intuition to feel confident in myself. I start with facts. I look at research. That's where I love. That's where I feel at home. Like, tell me one thing I know for sure. And so like research tells me that there are three human intrinsic needs. There was a giant study on happiness, what makes us happy. And it found that there are three basic human intrinsic needs. I'm going to botch them if I'm trying to think too hard. But um, one is that you're, you feel like you're living authentically. Like you feel like you're going into the world authentically, not hiding anything from anyone. One is you feel connected with a group. And that group can just be your couple of core, your family at home. It can be a few friends. It doesn't have to be a giant group. It doesn't have to be society. But you feel connected with a group. And the third is you feel competent and useful. So that group needs you for something. So that I know. Hold on one second. Competent and useful. Mm -hmm. How do you determine that? Because that's really important. These are things that I think about all the time. (laughs) Yeah, because you're human. Right. So, So, you know, like, for instance, my son has his his sense of purpose is his sense of belonging. He doesn't flourish unless he feels like he belongs somewhere, even though he's not really like a lot of other kids. He's real shy, mm-hmm. you know, and he's smaller than other kids. He doesn't like sports. He doesn't care about it, mm-hmm. you know, but his sense of belonging, it doesn't have to be by everybody, right? is like everything for him. So tell me about how you find a place for your child to feel like they are necessary, like they are they belong somewhere. Well, so um, belonging, connect, like connected to a group and belonging as in feeling competent. Those are two different intrinsic needs. Yeah. As far as being connected to a group, I think that you cannot control much about anything outside of this home. And for a lot of families, they don't even feel in control inside the home. Mm. But if you can create an environment, and let me tell you, I've managed to create this in my family and it was a lot of work. It wasn't like, oh, we were this kumbaya family. My husband and I have had to work really hard at creating an environment where the three of us in that home, we're all telling the truth all, all the time about ourselves. So what does that mean? Just... If I'm if I'm in a bitchy mood, <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm taking that out on him, and maybe halfway into the argument, I realize that perhaps perhaps I'm not being fair, and perhaps he's right. In that moment, 
I can just say, I can't say, you're right, and stop being angry. But I can say, I'm still very angry, and I want to blame you, and I feel like it's your fault. I'm starting to think that maybe it's not, but like, just so you know, I'm still angry, (laughs) you know. So being honest in that moment, instead of like going all in, you know, and continuing that fight, or I can't turn my emotions off, but just being able to say to him, trusting him enough that he won't use me, you know, like, like, and, and take advantage of the fact that he was right and gloat about the argument. If you can trust one another like that, like little moments like that. And, and our son can be really honest with us about puberty. <laughs> you would not believe how honest he can be with us about puberty, but he knows he can come home and say like this, this happened at school. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. And he knows we're, we're all here telling the truth. Nobody is here acting like there's someone else. So you can try and create that environment in your home as far as the connectedness and then hope that from there that's enough. Hope that that's enough of a group that they can pick good friends, make good choices and expand. They're going to expand their group outside the home. And eventually that group is going to be more influential to them than, than you are. So just hope that you've given them a good example of what a good friend looks like and a good honest connection looks like. And so when they seek other friends, they'll, they'll look for that too. But the being useful and uh, feeling competent at what you do, I have a, I have a great tip for that. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite thing for that is chores, like chores, chores, chores. Give them work, make them work. And don't cut chores because they've got so many activities or they've got so much homework. It's so hard. It's yeah. so hard. Yeah, I know. I'm homework not saying anything hard. that I don't homework struggle is hard to like, carve out time for <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I mean, you just, I just say that needs to be equally as important. Taking out the trash, washing the dog, like whatever, whatever the chore is, mopping the floor, make them work. And that, that's, it's just so much more essential than you think. It's not just about even just learning work ethic. It's learning self-efficacy feeling I can do something on Mm -hmm. my own and I can't emphasize how much chores does for kids and I'm I'm a nurturing mom I love momming I would love to tidy up his room every day and it's so cute when he comes home and that's what I want to do I want to go in and pick up all the toys I want to do everything for him so that he looks at me like, oh, thanks, mom. Yeah, you that know? happens constantly for an 11-year-old. <laughs> right. Exactly, yeah, all the time. <laughs> um, I, but I do want to do things for him. I, that's the way I show love. I love nurturing. But I have to make myself stop and quit it. And But when you do it long enough and you watch them go out and handle a situation and um, – do you want me to, I can use another example of my please. son or if I'm not yes, like, talking about him too much. You're like being interviewed. So okay. it's cool. <laughs> it feels weird <laughs> on this side of things. But I really think that that came in really handy. A lot of those things that we do at home came in really handy this past year. He had a bad time with, I, I think you can call it bullying. Um, kids were calling him gay and they were like doing it every day at his expense. And it went on and on and on. And you know, he would come home and I, you know, you know what my first instinct was, was call every parent, call every teacher, everybody, you know, you're going to stop this now, bring in the reinforcements. And I had to fight my instinct with that and say, he needs to handle this. He's got to handle this situation. Mm. And so every night he would cry about not wanting to go to school and what the kids said this today. And we would just listen and we would just 
sympathize and go, that really sucks. What, what are you going to do? Here's my advice. That's a Brene Brown tactic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Here's my advice. My advice is tell somebody. My advice is tell the teacher, tell the school counselor. Then he'd say no. And we, I mean, we're talking four or five months. It wasn't some, I mean, it took a lot to keep our mouth shut. We never once emailed the school or anything. We just oh, talked to him every that. night. And <clears throat> he, we said, you tell us when. You say when. And he was like, no, I, th- I think I can figure it out. It's not that big a deal. But it got worse. And then he decided he went to the school counselor and he told her. And he, ha- he handled everything on his own. Everything. And the minute he did that, he came home. And from that point forward, he was a totally like renewed confidence kid. Wow. Yeah. That is, I'm getting chills. That yeah. is so powerful. And I, I'm in in my world, my my son, like I said, he's small for mm-hmm. his age. So he gets picked on all the time and he's six. Yeah. So he was in kindergarten. He just started first grade and he would get picked on and I would see him just, it was almost as if you pull the plug out of him mm-hmm. and he just would collapse. You know, like he, he would retreat, he would start to be fussy with us. And we're like, what is going on? He would, you know, have a complete meltdown if we said, you know, no to a video or something. And we're like, what is going on? And he would tell us that somebody told him that he was the smallest kid in the whole school and that he was a little runt or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought long and hard because I had been picked on at school and I remember my mom and this is classic of the time too. would say, <laughs> yeah. well, those girls are just jealous of you. And I'm like, I promise you, they are not jealous of the zit face, you know, buck <laughs> right. teeth, ugly ass, <laughs> lies, mug. I promise you that does not feel comforting. And so right. the one thing we started employing and it worked immediately was the upstander award. Mm-hmm. And I heard about this where Every day we would tell my son, Danny, we would say, Danny, your job today is to be an upstander. And what that means is that if somebody is hurting, you step in to help them feel better. Um, Or if somebody is picking on somebody else, you step in to tell them it's not right and to treat them right. And if somebody is picking on you, you step up and mm-hmm. say, you you know, I always tell them you you teach people how to treat you and you tell them I'm not accepting that yeah. and you tell somebody you have to step up, up as a leader. And so every day we would ask him, how are you an upstander today? And immediately he would say, well, somebody dropped their book bag and I helped them pick it up or somebody fell and hurt their knee and I, you know, they were crying and I asked if they were okay. And every time he would do this, we'd give him a dollar. And so he's got this little collection <laughs> of <rich>. dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but he would like start collecting garbage on the ground and find a trash can for it. And this never would have happened. So yeah, I don't know if it's the right thing, but it feels right to kind of push him into, not push him into, but like find his find his place as a leader and a role model. Yeah. And we we constantly reinforce that with him. But it's so hard. And so I imagine you are putting together this amazing experience at home, this playful experience, and you're offering this opportunity for other parents to to be able to do that. But when, like you said, your parent, your parents, your children <clears throat> start being influenced more by their friends, mm-hmm. how do you keep your hands off when they're hanging out with people that you would not be happy with? You know, like, how do you protect them that I I feel like once that switch happens, and all of a sudden, they're hanging out with people you feel like could be a bad influence. 
How do you take your hands off of that? Well, talk to me in a few years. I'm on a journey. <laughs> and I mean, part of the Go Get, I mean, the Go Get Mom podcast that I'm doing yes. is not about me having answers and preaching them to everyone. It's that I'm still on this journey to continue to find answers. So, so let's I'm, talk about that podcast because <laughs> I think it's powerful and incredible. Thanks. Well, yeah, it's essentially just me on this journey where I've learned a few things, but there's still so much more to learn. And so I'm trying to compile some resources for people, talking to people who have input on anything and everything, parenting and mental health. And they just, either they've helped inspire me or they've been part of how I've become a better person, or I think they can, and I want to talk to them and and figure something out. And so it's hard for me to comment on what I'm going to do. Currently, my son makes good friend choices. And, but I know when kids make poor friend choices, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, I do plan to talk to a couple of experts, particularly about teens and tweens and their lives, the things we should worry about, the things we shouldn't. That's I, so incredible. Yeah. <laughs> things well, but, we should worry about <laughs> and the things we shouldn't. Well, because sometimes with, especially with some things I am learning with, with, with teens and tweens is they are moody and we can't jump the gun every time, you know, they're feeling emotional. Well, I think that's the hard part of, mm-hmm. does my children child need to be in therapy? Do they need to be on drugs? Do they not to be on drugs? Yeah. Is this normal? Is this anxiety? Is this like, we need to hit the panic button? It's are, yeah. Are they really okay? Hard to navigate. Are they okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, we always put, want, just every day. Are they okay? Are they still okay? Are you sure put, they're okay? Yes. So yeah, I do. That's my goal. I want to talk to people about that, understand that on a deeper level and in a lo- logistical way, like really tell me when do I worry and when do I not? And I think if I just talk to enough people about it, there'll be patterns. And that's that's what I do. That's how I've gotten as far as I've gotten with just who I am as a person is I look at science first. What does science tell me? Because I know I can trust it. And then I talk to people constantly. Anybody I respect, anybody I'm curious about, and then I look for patterns. And then from there, I make decisions for myself personally. Whether that's right or wrong, I've got no clue, but it's been helping me. It's helped me overcome a lot of stuff. So I'm just trying to put that a little more publicly and have those conversations yeah. where other people can listen in. But yeah, the, the teen tween and making friends, that's a tough one. When they, I mean, I think you're just going to have to hope that they it's instilled in them what a good connection feels like. Mm-hmm. And that eventually, if that friend presents themselves as dangerous, but it doesn't mean they won't make mistakes. And, and you said the word protect. And I think if we look at it from a place of protection and not a place of learning, then we stop them from a lot of learning experiences. Mm-hmm. And maybe that, maybe that kid in eighth grade that's like, gonna show them some porn <laughs> you know maybe that kid you know i mean let's be that's real totally happening it's <laughs> that, going to happen yeah, yeah. yes he shows him his first porn is not that makes you cringe you want to stop that yeah but that kid eventually if your kid has a steady foundation he's gonna feel uncomfortable around that kid and he's mm-hmm. gonna have the confidence hopefully already instilled in him to know when it's going too far and then that'll if he'll learn from that like okay you know red flag with that one and we see where that went so then then when he's an adult and it's a lot more the stakes are a lot higher or he's in high school or whatever he will have already cut his teeth do you know what i mean on knowing who to keep and who not to keep so protection is 
dangerous word because there's no protecting. What are some of your thoughts about, you've you've taken a few years to really dig into the research. What were your, some of your most surprising findings? Oh gosh, this is so exciting for me. This is the geeky stuff that I can count on. So one of my favorite findings was, I read a book called Blueprint, How Your DNA Makes You Who You Are. And it's by Dr. Robert Plowman. And I talked to him on the podcast. He's one of my faves. And he was a geneticist for 50 years. And he compiled genetic information from over 100 years. Like, it, this book is like, it is so nerdy. And it's a very difficult read, because it's very scientific. I mean, half the book is cited. And, um, <laughs> It's always hard to read. That's insurance that I will never read it, <laughs> right. but I will listen no. to your podcast. <laughs> exactly. Just listen to him because, because I was really excited that what I was taking away from it, I was able to bounce off him. Like, was this right? And it was as science as it gets. And it basically was what makes us us. And um, because of things like uh, 23andMe and MindDNA or whatever they're called, we have millions of te test subjects to... So we have genetic information that we've never had before. And it's a big deal if you're into this world. And it found that, I mean, half of us is for sure DNA when it comes to like personality and mm -hmm. being prone to anxiety or bipolar, every, everything. And half of that is just in the womb baked into you. And then they looked at, well, okay, we know the, okay, we th about thought that, you know, but what's the other half? And you know, it's, it's nurture, what you think of as nurture. But we've always attributed that to parenting, right? Nature versus nurture. Nurture equals parenting. That turned out not to be so true, which is a little terrifying, but also really exciting for me. So it turns out roughly, this is so rough, so don't like quote me on it. Roughly out of that other 50% that's nurture, 40% of that is random and unpredictable events that affect you on an individual level and they change over time. And if that sounds confusing, it's because it is confusing. Like mm -hmm. I even asked for clarification on that from Dr. Plowman and he was like, your, your guess is as good as mine. Oh, great. <laughs> so mm -hmm. put a big question mark in that 40% and 10% is like routine life environment. So what we would have called parenting. Wow. Yeah. So that's, terrifying and freaky and you kind of want to fight that and I understand I yeah I felt that way mm -hmm. but then if you just hang in there with it and just go okay science is right and I have to I have to adjust to that you realize it's pretty liberating because it's like well so it, the whole world doesn't weigh on me everything this child ever becomes or does isn't all on my shoulders and they're who they are. I don't have to fight this. I don't have to be to blame for their ADHD. I don't have to be to blame for the fact that, you know, they're not good at math. Now they can just be them. And I can just do my part, do those human intrinsic needs that we all need. Do your part. Unconditionally love them. Give them some chores, <laughs> you know, and let nature take its course. And this random environments, you know, hope that you've provided them the stability that those random events are, they're going to be able to handle them, whatever they are, or they're going to make good choices, whatever they are. Wow. So getting back to the kid factory, I think it's such a brilliant idea. And I know you're doing it around Metro Atlanta mm -hmm. area. Have you thought about collaborating with 
other moms that want to duplicate that in other cities? What's your plan to scale it? Because <laughs> we need that all the time. Yeah. But you're well, one lady. <laughs> I am one lady and I am having to pick and choose how, how and where I spend my time, which is part of why I did the podcast is because that I could just put out Sure. to the world. Um, I mean, sure, if anybody wants to collaborate on anything, they can always reach out to me. That's how I've gotten where I've gotten, is I've just kept saying yes to whoever has found me. So sure, anything I can do, I will do. And it's as long as it isn't sacrificing, I, I give myself to my family first, like they get the best of my energy, and then work gets second, and then whatever's left <laughs> goes into this project. So if I can do it, I'll do it, basically. What is your plan for What is your plan for it? Well, starting this, I said in October, I said, I'm just going to take a year. Like, I'm just going to take a year and, and do this thing um, and, and just feel like I've gotten something off my chest. You know, I wasn't able to sleep at night because of thinking of our children's leading cause of death was suicide. It just couldn't get it off my mind. So I thought maybe if I just take a year and for me, it felt selfish, you know, be selfish and st mom's going to start this thing that makes no money, you know, and takes up all her time. Um, I said, I'm going to give it a year and then I'm going to, whatever's out there, it's out there. It feels like it's probably going to go on longer <laughs> than that. Um, but my family is okay with that. So it's hard to say. I had no vision when I started. I have no vision to this day. I'm just still doing what I'm doing. And with each step saying, saying what I'm finding, putting out there what feels right. I'm really going with my gut here. I'm really winging it. So um, I don't know what's for the future. That's the short <laughs> I should have just said. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. What? Um, so go get mom. Tell us about this podcast and how people can find you. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be on, so launching August 15th and it'll be on Google Play, Spotify, and iTunes. And it's just going to be weekly conversations with people who from some aspect have insight to share on mental health parenting and realizing a passion. Um, because that seems to be a running theme actually is knowing how to realize a passion and go for it. A passion for as a parent or as a child or anything. Okay. Yeah. Just anything. Um, because it all seems to come from the same place. Yeah. And it all links in. So that's just weekly, weekly conversations with people who I think have some insightful things to share and um, who either inspired me or as I, since I said, I'm still on the journey to figure out what is causing this mental health crisis and what do we do to solve it? I'm talking to people who I think can help me on that journey. I appreciate that you've gotten yourself involved. You know, it sounds like it's something that kind of was planted in you that you could not yeah. do anything, but it sounds like you're you're doing an incredible service for it. Is there anything else you want to share before we close or anything that you've discovered? Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I just I just hope that through this, through anything I have to say, if parents can learn to love themselves more and to um, see their children as more human and also allow their children to see them as more human and just connect that relationship on a more, we're all in this together. Nobody really knows what's going on. And if that can just bring parents some peace of mind and comfort in like, I don't have to have all the answers. And, and, and I think that will have a trickle effect to the, the little people that they care for. It sounds like it's offering grace as a parent. And I think that's probably one of the most profound and hardest lessons to learn that you can't do it all. Yeah. And it's, and you don't have to actually, yeah. you're doing, you're, you don't, it's going to be all right, even if you don't. Yeah. I understand that too. So where can people find you? 
So our website is thekidfactory.org, and you can follow my journey on Instagram at the underscore kid underscore factory, or at gogetmom.podcast if you just want to hear podcast stuff, you know, but if you want the whole gamut, because it's all under the umbrella of the Kid Factory, then you can follow. And that's, that's about it. You can reach out to me then if you want to collaborate in any way. Or I love that. I think that's smart. Can people donate to the nonprofit? They can. Um, I'm looking for sponsors for the podcast. Okay. And the Kid Factory, I try to keep my donations like duct tape and tires and stuff. Yeah. Um, just because it makes me feel better. I don't want to handle a whole lot of a cash with that. Right. I'd rather they just donate the materials. So my website has an Amazon wish list and they can order stuff on there. And then like you know, definitely looking for sponsors for the podcast just to help it keep going. Yeah, for sure. And Cindy, you are a culture changer. I thank you for your intention. I thank you for putting this out into the world and making the world a little bit better. Thank so you. So thank you for being on the podcast today. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad I was able to bring Cindy Robinson on the podcast. I was so inspired by all the ways we can allow our kids to play and stay in touch with the best of who they are. I encourage you to follow her at The Kid Factory and subscribe to her Go Get Mom podcast. You can find helpful links in the show notes. Please think of three or four parents or caretakers you know and pass this episode along. This info is so important for our future generations. As for me, I'm building the audience in Little Left of Center, so I truly hope you'll not only subscribe, but leave a review and continue sharing these episodes. It means so much to me. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.